Hey, listeners, welcome back to another episode of Being at Work. I'm your host, Andrea Butcher, and I'm so grateful for this conversation today. You know, this show every single day offers a leadership lesson that is story-based. And today's episode reinforces why this format and focus is working. It creates connection. And our guest today highlights the power in using brain-based communication techniques to create connection. Dr. Ali Atkinson has a PhD in human communication studies. I'm so grateful to get to work with and learn from Allie every single day. She is a growth coach facilitator at HRD, a leadership development company. But what you really need to know about Allie is how she's making these concepts of brain-based communication, something that can sound heady or academic, how she's bringing them to life and helping all leaders to take what they already know about communication to illustrate why certain approaches work and why others don't. In other words, she highlights the intersection between brain-based communication and everyday application. I am better for working with and learning from Allie, and no doubt, you will be too. Check it out. I started my professional career in higher education and academia, and I was um, getting my PhD that you mentioned in human communication studies many years ago. And when I um, actually was accepted to graduate school many, many, many years ago, I was accepted on an assistantship, which meant that I got free tuition in exchange for teaching. Now, I had actually never had any designs on teaching when I applied to graduate school. I knew I wanted to earn my doctorate in communication, but I didn't necessarily know what I wanted to do with it. And I I didn't necessarily have teaching in mind, but when they offered me this assistantship and said, you know, hey, free tuition, if you'll come teach for us, I was like, well, obviously, yes. I mean, to be honest, if they had asked me to clean the pool for free tuition, I probably would have said yes. So I thought, yeah, okay, let's do that. And back in the day, and unfortunately, sometimes this is still the case, they don't often teach teachers how to be good teachers, right? You're studying the content And so, you know, they just say, here's the content, and now you go teach the content. And so I was essentially at, you know, the ripe old age of about 23, 24, handed a textbook and literally a key to my classroom, and they said, go forth and teach. I had no idea what I was doing. So I spent the first couple of years, to be honest, just basically holding on to my lecture notes like grim death and just reading them to my students. I mean, I'm not, I probably wasn't a very solid teacher at that point. It wasn't very engaging for my students. And so I did a couple of years where I was teaching like this. And one day I was actually, um, I had advanced to teaching graduate students by this point. So same thing. I was, I was teaching a class, I think it was conflict management at the time. And I was reading my lecture notes and, you know, I had at least graduated to the point where I would ask the occasional interactive question, you know, from time to time, what do you guys think of this? But for the most part, I was still basically lecturing. So I had trained them to check out. So on the occasion that I did ask a question, I'd usually got maybe one person, but for the most part, it was cricket. So I had this really crazy moment one day when I was teaching this graduate class where I was standing in front of the class and I was lecturing to them. And I literally had this like out-of-body experience where I started floating above my body and I was watching myself lecture. And I literally thought to myself, 
oh my God, I am even boring myself. I'm not even listening to me anymore. You know, <laughs> I was just watching myself lecture. And so in that moment, I put my notes down and I said to my students, okay, I'm boring myself. I have to be boring you. <laughs> they obviously looked around like they thought they were on candid camera or punked or something. And I said, you know what, let's try something different. And they were seated in the rather traditional single row of desks kind of thing. And I said, why don't you pull your desks into a circle and let's just have a conversation. And so they did. And I asked them, I said, what are you hoping to get out of this class? Like, why are you in this specific class and what are you hoping to learn from it? And in terms of learning, what would work for you? And so we had this really great conversation where we started to co-create together, me and my students, what the class was going to look like. And that particular class was a turning point for me because it, it, it was the most engaged I'd ever had my students be and their final projects were uh, unbelievable, right? And so I started researching better teaching practices after that moment. And that, in very short order, led me to researching how the adult brain learns. Because as you start learning, what is it that people need in order to learn more effectively? You start realizing that it, it, it's kind of incumbent upon you as a teacher to understand how the brain works. We can't understand how learning takes place if we don't understand how the brain actually functions in the learning process. So I started, I started researching more of that. And again, this is many, many years ago. Nowadays, it's fairly ubiquitous that people study the brain or at least know kind of armchair level knowledge about the brain and how it works. But back then, there weren't as many people doing that. And so eventually, I started researching that and in turn, teaching other teachers how to improve their teaching practice based on what we know about how the adult brain learns. And I'm always careful to say adult brain because that is in particular what I studied because I've always taught adults. And so eventually I had this another aha moment many years into this where I realized communication is not that different from teaching because in order to be effective communicators, it's about having our message land clearly on the other person. It's about having impact and influence. And when I started to realize that, I started to do a little bit more research on that intersection between communication and what we know about how the adult brain learns and realized that there was really nobody out there at the time talking about that. And so I got really excited and I started to share that knowledge more with the professional world as well as the academic world. And so that's really has become my particular area of passion is not just brain-based teaching, but in particular, brain-based communication. So good. It, it's so fun to look back, isn't it, and see how all these experiences have led you to where you are today. And I, I so appreciate that moment in your classroom when you had that out-of-body experience and you said to them, I'm even boring myself. And it's seeing you in action now. You know, I, I can't imagine you standing up there with a, a textbook, but you didn't know any other way. So it's, it's interesting that you came to that. What do you think? How did you come to that? That's a really good question. Um, you know, I suspect hindsight's always twenty twenty, right? Of course. And now that I look back, I suspect that I had been dissatisfied with my teaching up to that point. You know, I didn't like standing in front of the classroom and very simply just going over the same material I had already asked them to read anyway. I didn't like feeling like I was disengaged with my students. 
as we talk about the intersection between communication and adult learning, I think you make a really interesting point because leaders will say all of the time, like, oh, it doesn't feel right how I'm communicating with my team or how I'm casting this vision with them. And it's likely because they are telling instead of engaging their teams. It's almost like we're doing really what's counter to us intuitively. Yes, I agree with that. I agree with that. I think we often feel the need. And I think this, and I'm saying we now, again, going back to connecting to teachers, but also facilitators and even just everyday communicators, we so often feel the need to be the expert, to have all of the answers. And that means, oh, I have to do all the talking. But it's, of course, it's not just about what we say, but how we say it, but also how we're connecting with those people. And part of that a big part of it, and this is where some of the brain stuff comes in, a big part of that is connecting with other people in our communication is so critical because we can talk all day long, but if I'm not ensuring that what I'm saying is connecting with you, then you're not listening and you're not learning and you're not being impacted and you won't take action based on what I'm saying. My words will just wash over you and you'll forget them as soon as our conversation is over. So connection is the key, isn't it? That's absolutely right. And this is what I love about our work. We talk about connection like from a conceptual place, right? Like leaders, of course, have to connect with the people that they work with and that they lead because we know that that's what good leadership looks like. But what's so cool is that I can also show you with science that if you're not connecting with the people you lead in that way, then you're not having the impact you think you are. And that is what is so cool. I mean, you are you are reinforcing the concepts that we bring to life with leaders through all of this research. I mean, you can show them, here's, this, here's what the science says. So there's just so much more credibility then that goes with it. So, so tell us some of those things. Like, you know, when you talk about the intersection between brain-based communication and everyday application, what are some of the key messages that are important for us to get? There's so many, but I'll start with the one that I think resonates most based on what we were just talking about, which is connection. Like, let's talk about the science behind why that connection is so important. So imagine that your brain, we know that the brain has like about a billion neurons. So you can imagine that your brain is comprised of like millions and millions of teeny tiny little storage cubbies. If you've ever walked into an Amazon warehouse, or you can even probably imagine what an Amazon warehouse looks like, imagine that your brain looks like that, but you know, in a teeny tiny microcosm of it. And so what happens is when we're out in the world and we're talking to people or we have all kinds of stimuli coming in, what happens is that our brain will literally, like let's say I'm talking to you for the first time and you're sharing new information my brain will immediately start searching all of my little cubbies, like the quickest Google search in the world, to ask, how is this new information like something I already know? It seeks that connection because that's what's really critical. That's the only way that our brain can make sense of something. Is it like something I already know? Now, the connection that you hope I'm making may not be the one I'm actually making, right? We've all had those moments as facilitators where maybe we've shared a concept and then you have a participant say, oh, is this like, you know, last week when my boss said this to me and you're going, no, no, it's, it's not really like that. <laughs> but the great news is that actually you want them to make some connection. It's better that they make some connection than no connection 
Because if there's no connection, then actually they will completely forget what you said. Because again, that brain, our brain looks for that connection. It looks for things that are like what it already knows. Because what happens is these little neurons that we have, there's neuronal networks that are formed in our brain that are actually physical, tangible networks in our brain. So each time we learn something new, we actually form a new teeny tiny little physical branch in our brain. And so new information has to physically connect to an existing neuronal network in order for learning to take place. So if there's no connection and that connection is actually physical in our brain, if there's no connection between new information and something that already exists in our brain, then there will never be a connection. It will, even if it's temporary, it will weaken and deteriorate. And again, that's why the person will not remember it or it doesn't resonate with them, or frankly, they just don't care. It's because we haven't connected to something that's like something they already know. So it's so incumbent upon people, not just leaders, facilitators, but everyday communicators to really, you know, the old adage, like consider your audience all the time. That's why it's so important. It's much more about how do I connect this information to something they know and care about and have experienced? Because if I can't do that, it doesn't matter to them. Yeah, really good point. And then once I know them, telling relatable stories so that they can do exactly what you just described. Absolutely. I mean, you're such a great storyteller and you you know so much about the importance of stories. And that's a wonderful way to make a connection with another person. Our brain thinks mostly in analogies. If you think about it, we think mostly in metaphors. We use them all the time very subconsciously. So things like analogies, metaphors, stories, examples, parables, these are really powerful ways to connect with other people because you kind of increase the likelihood that, that somehow they're making a connection to something you're saying, right? Like if I tell a story of something that happened to me, you might not have experienced that exact thing, but you can probably call to mind something similar that you've experienced. And that's why stories are so powerful because they do allow us to make that connection that we're seeking. That's so cool. Like you said, I mean, I always knew stories were important, but now the science behind it reinforces the importance and you told the story in such a connective way because I can now visualize all those little compartments in my head and the fastest <laughs> Google search ever happening every time That's I right. connect with someone. And it's exactly why we founded this show on stories. I wanted a show that highlighted leadership lessons, but I didn't want – these aren't Andrea's lessons or HRD's lessons – these are the lessons we can see in the stories, pivotal moments in leaders, leading through challenges. So thank you for reinforcing that. Okay, so connection. What else in terms of that intersection? Connection is key. And so, um, yeah, so let's talk a little bit more about like stories and analogies because one of the things that I think is so fun about this work that, that I really am passionate about, this brain-based communication, and you mentioned this earlier is that, you know, sometimes it can sound really unapproachable, kind of heady. And when I talk about that, people say, well, I don't know anything about the brain, so I, I can't relate to that. But the truth is that most of us are already doing some of the strategies and tips and tactics that I share. I just like to explain to people why it works. And so analogies 
are such a wonderful way to connect to other people. Like I said, because our brain mostly thinks in terms of analogies anyway. We mostly think in terms of metaphors. I mean, think about our language abounds with metaphors. We've got all the sports metaphors, which even though I don't care at all about sports, even I use sports metaphors, you know, was she knocked it out of the park and the whole nine yards and all of those things. We use metaphors all the time. And, you know, the reason is, like I said, that our brain really um, thinks in terms of metaphors and it, it, gives, it gives people something to connect to. So even if I don't necessarily understand a concept that you're sharing, so let's say, you know, we're facilitating something and we're talking about a new concept that people have never heard of, like one of our leadership concepts. Using a metaphor is a great way for them to be able to connect this abstract thing to something that they already know. So the abstract thing being the new concept. Oh, I'll give you an example. So when I used to teach conflict management, I mentioned that a couple of minutes ago, conflict is not fun to do. And so it can be a little bit scary to talk about as well. Now, I could have shared a textbook definition of conflict with my students, right? Conflict is an express struggle between two interdependent parties who perceive a lack of resources and it creates conflict. That's pretty good textbook definition considering I haven't read that textbook in probably 20 years. But so I can give them that and that, but that doesn't really give me a sense of what conflict is and how it impacts people on the day to day, right? That textbook definition is very dry and it doesn't, it doesn't help me understand like, well, what is conflict and how can I do it better? So one of the things that I used to really love to do is actually I would ask my students to create their own analogies because that allowed us to talk about conflict and how they experienced it without me having to ask them, okay, so when you're in a conflict, what do you do? Because nobody wants to admit, well, I'm kind of a jerk and I'm really short with my spouse and I yell and I you know, snap at people. Like no one wants to admit all that, right? So what I used to do instead to make it more approachable and allow us all to get a sense of like how each person approaches conflict without having to sort of admit untoward behavior is I would ask them to create their own analogy. So think about conflict and create an analogy around it. So conflict is or conflict is like what? And so I got some really great ones over the years, but probably my favorite one that I've never forgotten, and it's just such a good analogy, is I had a student who said, Conflict is like two bald men fighting over a comb. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that because really what it instantly communicates to me is that she perceives conflict as pointless, right? So she's unlikely to engage in it. And then I had another student who created one that said, um, conflict is like being in a rap battle where I'm up against Eminem. <laughs> oh, wow. Powerful, right? Because so right away, again, I get the sense that, okay, she thinks of conflict as like a win-lose, and she's always the loser. So right away, I get this really powerful image of how they feel about conflict without having to get them to talk about things that are uncomfortable for them. So that's just kind of one example of how analogies can be really powerful, and especially, you know, as communicators, they can help us communicate with other people and make that connection in a way that might feel more approachable, more comfortable, and allow us to really understand each other in a way that is very real 
it feels like depth to me. When you're using stories and analogies and metaphors, it just deepens the conversation. Just like in those examples that you shared, Allie, I have immediate insight on an individual based on how they view something. What advice would you give to leaders who are more pragmatic, who like the textbook definition and are uncomfortable or feel challenged coming up with a metaphor analogy story? I really love this question because, you know, having taught some of this as as much as I have to both professional and academic audiences over the years, I have gotten a few people from time to time who, who have said to me, you know, I'm just not really good at coming up with analogies and metaphors. And so I understand what you're saying about the power behind them, but it's just not a strength of mine. And so I appreciate that. And I do think it's one of those things that is a skill you can hone for sure. Again, most of us do it pretty subconsciously without realizing it. It's just putting it out there and thinking about it consciously takes a little bit more effort. But admittedly, I think there are some people who are better at it than others. So my advice would be, and it's very related to this, but it's to really then rely instead on questions. So if you don't think that you're uh, you know, that great at coming up with analogies, then plan B is ask more questions. Inquiry is one of the number one ways to connect with another person. So I often would have people say, how can I connect to find out what's in this person's head? I don't know what's in their head. How am I supposed to know what they're going to search for and what their brains will find when it does that Google search? Well, how can you know what another person is thinking about something that you're sharing in that moment? You can ask them. And we so often, I think, are fearful of asking questions because, again, we want to appear as the expert, right? Well, I'm supposed to be the leader. I'm supposed to be the one in power. I'm supposed to be the one who has all the answers. But the truth is that inquiry is such a powerful tool for leaders because, A, it establishes that we care about what this other person is thinking, feeling, experiencing. And we want to understand where they're coming from. We want to understand how what we're saying lands with them. And so it's a really powerful tool to just very simply ask someone. So, you know, Joe, have you had any experience with this particular concept or what's been, my favorite question is, what's been your experience with this so far? And if they say, you know, gosh, Andrea, thank you for asking me. I, I've only had one experience with this thing, and it wasn't very positive. And then you can say, oh, wow. Okay, well, tell me more about that. You know, as opposed to just going, well, you need to do this thing because this is how we do things here. And then inside, they're afraid to say, like, oh, I've only done this thing once, and I, I had a really bad experience with it. But if you just very simply ask them, what's been your experience with this, and, and really open up, then you're much more likely to connect with them and build a strong trusting relationship in the get-go. These brain-based communication techniques are are very heart-centered, aren't they? I mean, it is all about connection, as, as you've reinforced. And, you know, how, how much of what you're feeling comes into play? How much are you relying on what's going on with, within you and within the people that you're connecting with? I think maybe I have a two-part answer to that. I mean, I you know, one of the things that I think is really important to understand about brain-based communication is it can sound like it's mutually exclusive from being authentic and feeling what we feel and all of those things. And I think 
that that's definitely not the case. I think they certainly work hand in hand. So leading from a place of authenticity is always the best practice. But again, the brain-based approach really just underlies the science behind why it works, essentially to put the other person first, right? To be a better listener, to ask more questions, to figure out how I can connect what I'm saying to what they already know. And so what we are feeling is part of what we have to be conscious about around how are we communicating what we're feeling. Well, we know this is just emotional intelligence, right? I mean, you can have all of the emotions in the world. It's just how do you communicate those emotions and doing so in a way that is authentic, but also always considers the other person. So it's just really about putting the other person first. It's about thinking about um, will my feelings and my emotions be appropriate in this moment? Will they make this person comfortable or uncomfortable? You know, so context is always really important in terms of how we're feeling and how we communicate what we're feeling. There are certain contexts or people that we can be a little bit more emotive with. But it's still always about being genuine. Mm-hmm. But you're right. There's a lot of dynamics depending on the relationship, depending on our level of trust, depending on our, like the psychological safety in the relationship, in the room, all of those things. Absolutely. Yeah. I love that you just psychological safety because that's one of my favorite concepts to talk about from the brain-based science back perspective. We heard this term psychological safety, and I think even more now because there's such a wonderful push that we have right now to create safe spaces for people in terms of our workplace. And so I think sometimes people push back a little bit on that psychological safety concept because it sounds very woo-woo, right? It sounds like if you've got somebody, especially who may be a little bit more old school, you know, I've certainly gotten the comments like, well, how come I have to do so much hand-holding nowadays? People should just come to work and do their job. And, you know, it's not my job to make sure that they are emotionally equipped, et cetera, et cetera. But what we know, and one of the reasons psychological safety is so critical is I'm going to take it back to the brain because that's what I love to do, is that if we are in a space, whether it's a professional workspace, relationship with our spouse, whatever the case may be, if we're in a space where we don't feel quote unquote safe, and by safe, I mean a lot of things because it really, evolutionarily speaking, it used to mean we were literally under threat of being eaten, right? <laughs> and that's where the original fight or flight response uh, you know, came from. But over the millennia, that has really transformed to, to be more about psychological safety. And so nowadays, if we feel uncertain, unsure, and in a different way, like, I don't feel that you value me, or I don't feel that my leader thinks I'm smart or wants me to be here, or if I feel threatened because my leader is saying things that, that, that are defensive or hostile or even awkward, then that creates a feeling, a lack of psychological safety. And what happens then is that our brain responds much in that same way that the original fight or flight, and it's really more like, it's usually more like freeze than anything now. We're not usually going to literally fight <laughs> out of in a professional workspace. But it does create those, all of those negative chemicals come out in our brain. It releases cortisol. Um, 
which is, you know, negative. That's that's the same chemical that gets released when we are highly stressed. And so if we create a feeling of psychological safety with the people we work with, then we're more likely to have their brain release those positive chemicals like endorphins. And so we actually, when we create spaces in the workplace that are not safe for the people we lead, we are actually inhibiting maximal brain power. They're not able to think critically. They're not able to ask good questions because they literally are just worried about protecting their psychological safety. And it's at a very subconscious level. And we can all relate to that. I mean, we we can all look into our experiences and see those moments where we felt frightened or we felt unsure or we felt really insecure. You can't find the words. You literally don't have the headspace. And not even just with psychological safety, but this is just all making me think what a miracle it is that we can have a conversation at all with all of the things that are going on within us, around us. I mean, it is quite miraculous, isn't it? That we can form these sentences and make connections and make sense of ourselves and the world because, wow, we are dynamic. I love that you just said that because I've always made that joke for many years. Like, yes, with all of the myriad experiences that we're all bringing to the table that influence the very specific way in which we see the world and we communicate, it really is a miracle that two people can ever communicate effectively, right? But it makes sense then that why we spend so much time trying to figure out how to do it well, because we are dealing with a lot of factors. But what I love about it is that I think it really drives home the underlying concept that humans want connection more than anything. We want to connect with other people. And that's why we keep trying this, even though it is so often a can lead to feelings of like beating our head against the wall with, you know, if we've had people in our lives who we feel like I just am not communicating with this person, we are just not connecting. And yet we often keep trying and keep trying because connection is so important to us. I know that you're preparing to facilitate a workshop called Know Your Team. And that's the spirit of that, isn't it? That recognize these people that you're serving, these people that you're leading, who are they? What motivates them? What are their experiences? So that you can make all of those connections that you've been talking about. That's exactly right. I mean, think about all of the leaders that we've ever, anybody has ever heard anyone else talk about leaders who have had a positive impact in their lives. It's always leaders who cared more about the people they led than they did themselves. They always talk about the leaders who asked questions, who listened and really listened, right? Like listened and for not only content, but context. It's always leaders who are empathetic about what other people are experiencing. It's never leaders who know all the stuff. And in that lack of connection, it also just does not feel good. If we're honest mm-hmm. and we and we take the time to look at a situation where we haven't connected or we haven't leaned in, you know, I have two stepkids and you and I have I've talked about just sometimes the challenges in those relationships and I hadn't seen them after several days and they got in the car and, you know, immediately it was like all these other things. And I just wanted someone to say like, Andrea, how are you? Or how was your week? Or, you know, and so I was asking them lots of questions, but I was getting nothing. And I found myself just getting really frustrated and and I was hurt, right? I wanted connection and I wasn't getting it. So what I did though, as I didn't handle it maturely, (laughs) I shut down. (laughs) 
And I stopped asking questions and I got pissed. And so then I didn't talk to them the rest of the day. And I went to bed angry that night. And fortunately, after some prayer and from some thoughtfulness, I realized, you know what? I shut myself off. I like pinched off connection opportunity because I was angry. And um, so that like that meeting people, it, it takes it takes an inwardly sound person to continually seek connection, doesn't it? And without expectation, with a lot of grace. I love that. I love that. It really kind of goes back to this notion that the onus is always on us. The onus is always on us as the communicator. It's lovely when people reciprocate that communication the way we hope and the way we want and wish and desire. And those moments are so beautiful. But the bottom line is that that can't really be our goal, right? Like our goal has to be for ourselves to carry the weight of being an effective communicator. And again, by that, I mean seeking the connection, being inquisitive and curious, a curious mindset. That's what you and I have shared, but that's one of my, my values is curiosity. And it's not just for curiosity's sake. It's because I know the power of curiosity for engaging those connections. The more curious you are about the other person, the more likely you are to have a strong connection with them. It's, and again, think about it, like those people you've had in your life who you've had that sense of connection with, it's never because they talked at you for 45 minutes about themselves. It's always because they were curious about you and what makes you tick. And that's what makes us go like, oh, wow, we had such a great connection. It was because they were interested in us, right? And by the same token, it makes other people feel better when we are interested in them. So yeah, the onus is always on us as a communicator. And the, I love what you just said about releasing expectation, because again, you're talking about it from the heart, but the truth is that it's also critical from the brain. Releasing the expectation of what the other person should do will enhance our effectiveness as a communicator, because again, it's up to us to make that connection. It's not up to them if we are the ones doing the communicating. You got it. Yeah, so at the end of the day, if you want connection, it's developing these muscles. Oh my gosh, Allie, thank you so much. My big takeaway is just the power of connection. And it's almost like brain-based communication, like the science behind brain-based communication reinforces the power of connection. What's your simple definition of brain-based communication? Oh, great question. Simple definition. I think the simple definition is really just taking what we know from research about how the brain functions and using that to illustrate why most of us are already doing some pretty great things when we communicate with other people, but looking at why certain approaches work and why certain approaches don't work. And as you just said, it really, it pretty consistently illustrates what we already feel in our heart when we have those moments, whether it's just a conversation or mentoring situation, if I'm a leader or a facilitator, when we have those moments that just felt great and they worked and we had that connection, it's so easy then. It would be so easy for someone like me to look at it and go, oh, I can tell you exactly based on what I know about how the brain learns why that felt so good. What I love about it is that that, that connection between the brain and the heart 
is is ultimately there in terms of communication. The strategies and the heart are completely in sync with each other. I love that. That's so good. And if you're paying attention, you will know if you're connecting. Allie, thank you for being here. I am so grateful for you. I'm so grateful I get to learn from you every single day. Likewise. Thank you, Andrea. I love this. Yeah. And you are taking over our Tuesday leadership lessons throughout the rest of this month. So stay tuned, listeners. Every Tuesday for the next few weeks, Allie will be sharing a two to three minute leadership lesson, just going into a little more detail around brain-based communication. So this has been a great, a great setup for that. Thanks, Allie. Thanks, Andrea. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast to never miss a being at work story. 